Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mudio Gavaza, and for today, we get into a discussion um, that uh, is going to be, you know, very illuminating. This is something that is affecting all of us, and that is the discussion just around, um, you know, why and how um, load shedding is impacting um, our network uh, quality, um, you know, out there in the world. We've seen uh, many pronouncements coming out from uh, the big operators um, that's uh, Vodacom and uh, MTN talking about um, the impact of load shedding on their networks, batteries, generators, all of this. And also at the same time, we've also been hearing from um, internet service providers as well, crying foul of uh, what's going on. Uh, so for today, we are going to be joined by Paul Koma, uh, who is uh, uh, an EXCO member over at the Wireless Access Providers Association. And he's going to be running us through uh, the the actual consequences you know with those that are obvious you know things that do affect us you know and then maybe some of the things that we don't uh, think about some of the unseen um, consequences uh, that arise when it comes to networks um, and uh, load shedding Paul greetings to you today good morning glad to be here thank you Thank you so much for being with us. Maybe uh, a place to start is maybe getting a sense of uh, uh, the the association, the Wireless Access uh, Providers Association, uh, just so that we can understand, uh, you know, the context uh, from which uh, you are coming from, Paul. Yeah, okay. The Wireless Access Providers Association, or WAPA, um, sure, is a non-profit organization and we have approximately 250 members. Um, somewhere around 200 of those members are licensed um, internet service providers in South Africa, which means they have a national and semi-national footprint um, with their own wireless uh, towers and access providing internet services to both homes and businesses across SA. Um, the role of WAPA is assisting them, looking after um, their regulatory requirements, holding their hands, aligning them, uh, training, and all aspects of the day-to-day operation of their business. Um, so that, in a, in a nutshell, is what WAPA is doing. And obviously promoting the industry that there is um, these options available especially in the more outlying areas away from the metros where the fiber operators dominate in a nutshell all right i think now that we understand you know what's going on it it really does sound like you're a good person to uh, talk to um, because your assertion isn't necessarily around you know network quality but just more around Broadly, internet access is threatened, um, you know, when it comes to load shedding. And it makes sense given the fact that you guys are covering such a broad, um, you know, broad range of uh, different types of uh, operators and people that are giving access uh, to the internet. So let's start maybe with the basic building blocks. For people that may not fully understand, um, you know, why load shedding has an impact um, on uh, core quality, on uh, internet access. You know, just being able, you know, the fact that yeah, when load shedding, you know, 
comes on a person uh, might have been sitting at 3g at 4g or 5g and then suddenly they see themselves you know being scaled back and the like impact of load shedding you know from your point of view just um in a nutshell for people to understand okay um you know we will understand what load shedding is i mean we're reminded of it every day and a lot of us have taken uh, proportions whether it be home installations of inverters, batteries, generators, or even um, very small, cheap devices just to keep your um, router, your LTE up or your connectivity up um, at home during load shedding. The problem is that signal that is coming into your home, your phone or your router um, is coming from a network that requires power. Um, you know, whether it's a cellular network, wireless network, even fiber optic, the other end in the exchange requires power. And in the case of load shedding, obviously they have backup power. Um, so it will switch on to the batteries and theoretically, um, we're okay. It's the intensity of the load shedding now that has not allowing those batteries enough time to recharge between the load shedding intervals. And because of the value of these batteries, um, especially on the more remote tower sites, theft is still a huge issue. So towers actually don't have batteries because they've been stolen or they are, you know, at a state of decay and it needs upgrading. So the networks are, you know, they're under enormous pressure. There's just not enough battery backup out there to compensate the time um, of repetitiveness of the load shedding that's happening. And when it comes to something like that, Paul, um, because one of the things that does become quite clear is the fact that, um, at least to my understanding, um, when you look at uh, batteries, for example, some of these battery packs at uh, at, at network sites take you know twelve to eighteen hours to to charge up, and if electricity is going out for let's say your you know nine to ten hours in stage six, then that doesn't give enough time to do a a full charging cycle you know in a day and if you repeat that over let's say five days you know you might find yourself you know with a tower that's either completely off or that has batteries that are you know quite drained um you know from that point uh, uh from that point of view uh, am i understanding that piece correctly absolutely and um especially um with regard to the cellular networks um a lot of the, it's compounded by the fact that, um, you know, in the metro areas, um, a lot of the towers have access to the internet via their own fiber. Um, out in the more outlying and semi-rural areas, you will find that um, the individual towers are getting their access from to the internet via other towers. So it's sort of relayed in like, you know, cellular and daisy channel. Now you only have to have one tower mm, with stolen batteries or, um, you know, batteries not so strong. When that one goes down, it creates a knock-on effect with the, with the remaining towers. Even though they've got power, there's no connectivity coming to them. Um. You know, one of the things that then becomes 
that's quite clear from what you are saying then is to say that um as much of a problem as load shedding has become on uh, networks and internet access let's say in your main metros then your rural areas just because of that dependence that they have the knock-on effect that you are talking about um then they are way more uh what's the word i'm looking for way more vulnerable um than what we have uh, anywhere else and my question then becomes at least from what you guys can see um i'm trying to figure out the best way to ask this question if you are a network provider whether yeah whether fiber or mobile and one of your network sites is down um i would assume that there's more resources that are available to attend to theft uh, to attend to um you know depleted batteries generators etc you know things that are wrong at a tower there's more resources in your metros than there is um in your in your rural areas for example or outlying areas um that sounds to me like one of those things that would i guess further compound the issue because at least in the metro you might be able to get some teams on site yeah <laughs> absolutely i mean you you struggled to say that diplomatically so I'll, uh, I'll, I will I will I will tell you in, in my own words what that situation is that the um, the cellular companies and the the CEOs of those companies it's very simplistic their number one interest is is their shareholders um and that's what they run they are money making organizations and they have only so many resources and uh, only so much money. So remember that the revenue streams that are coming um, in the rural and semi-rural access are are tiny compared to the the towers of the likes of Santon and the you know, the big built-up areas. Um, so yes. They 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 they, prior, they prioritize um, the masses and where the you know the, the revenue bases are. Um, now the guys out in the sticks getting left behind is that a problem? Absolutely. But you know I'm not attacking the the mobile operators on this. I mean every company does that whether it's internet access or anything. Mm? They they will have to they will have to prioritize, and you know it's it's unfortunate that the outlying areas were left behind in the beginning, and the money they're spending now, you know, developing and trying to get uh, the towers in Santon and Bedford View and the rich in our northern suburbs, huddle, is not being spent where it's needed most to improve the you know the coverage in these underserviced areas yeah mm -hmm. um and i think what you touched on is a very interesting point you know that one about uh, the fact that these were places that were left behind um you know from the beginning uh the the little that i know uh, i understand that um you know from a priority point of view as much as um, the likes of Vodacom and MTN talk about 99% plus, um, you know, network coverage uh, across the country. Uh, that there's still a, that there's still you know huge concentration when it comes to your metros, and that it's taken even you know putting into uh, the licensing 
you know, requirements of Spectrum to say, guys, rural connectivity, because just from a profitability point of view, you'd rather focus your area um, on where, you know, the people are as opposed to, you know, some of those outlying areas where you might have a higher per capita cost, you know, for the infrastructure that you need to put down. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's sad in a way that, um, you know, both, both Vodacom and MTN spent five billion uh, rand each last year on new spectrum, new you know radio spectrum, to be able to deliver five G services. Mm-hmm. And of course, they they've started out, they've started rolling out these services. I presume they have to. They've got to recoup that money and equipment, but and. Um, Unfortunately, those those five G services are not going into the outlying areas and the underserviced areas, and more more equipment, more five G and equipment, more power, more batteries. So there's definitely a case where all the money is going into the uh, you know the high income sectors, you know, and the high density um, suburbs, and not where it's needed needed most. And you know that's that that's our reality. But I mean, I believe you know they should be putting five G on hold and let's get the LTE and you know three G networks up and running. That's what we need because it is critical infrastructure, and we rely on these networks for emergency services and all sorts of things. The reality of it is people are dying because of this. Mm, I mean, it's critical communication, life-saving communication. But from a financial perspective, you know, these are massive organisations. They've invested billions in this already. And it's almost like a machine where the wheels are rolling and and nobody can stop it. And, you know, I don't think they're going to change their thinking or direction in that regard. No, it, it certainly makes sense when you when you put it like that. And I think now that we've gotten to this point in the conversation and the discussion, I think we've been able to at least make the case and understand um, the impact of um, load shedding on internet access when it comes to mobile networks and, you know, the issues that are being faced on that end, diesel generators, uh, batteries, um, the power outages, vandalism, security issues. We understand that piece. But the other piece in South Africa is the fact that, um, you know, especially in the more, particularly your metro areas and more the, you know, the middle to upper income, you know, brackets of the country, fiber internet and a lot of corporates in South Africa, uh, fiber access is, uh, is you know, a main way uh, that a lot of people are accessing the internet. Um, so maybe you could walk us through that piece of the equation to say, uh, because that's one I've never fully, you know, understood, you know, to say, you know, the load shedding on okay. fiber networks, you know, how does that piece work? Okay. Um, well, as, as we know, we've seen an explosion in, in fiber in the last uh, few years, um, rolling out, you know, starting off in the, in the metros and then spreading slowly to the smaller towns. Now, all these fiber networks are what they call um, passive. Um, you know, there's no electricity or anything flowing down. It's just a piece of glass with light going up and down it. But obviously, it does 
um, require power both ends for the routing device. And then obviously to get back to a data center um, or exchange where it gets break out to the internet. Now, all these data centers that are feeding these vast fiber networks in the metros have seriously good power and, and, and backup and generators and everything. They do not go down. So the fiber networks stay up um, during, in these areas are staying up. The biggest problem with fiber at the moment is that everybody's digging on top of each other. So they're actually cutting each other's fiber. That's more of a problem in the, those areas than the actual load shedding. But when we start spreading out to the smaller towns, because as we know, most of the metros have been fibered. And, you know, it's a very cheap form of uh, internet connectivity. The price, you know, it's been a race to the bottom. But what we're seeing now, they're, they're attacking and fibering out the smaller towns in South Africa. But somehow these smaller towns on the fiber network, it needs a link back into the network. And historically, telecom had the biggest um, reach of, of fiber network across the country to get these backbones from these small town fiber networks back to the, the data centers to create the access. Unfortunately, the, the battery situation in these outlying telecom exchanges is the same problem. They're not surviving load shedding. So you will find that when the, the feed fiber into a FT, a fiber to the home network in, in a small town, the entire town will go down on that fiber. Mm -hmm. And the same thing has happened that many of the WAPA members, um, my wisps, um, they have de became dependent on some of these fibers to feed their own network. Now, that really means if they're solely dependent on these links, if the exchange goes down the load shedding, their networks go down. So what they've been forced to do is actually create wireless point-to-point -point links from their network back to where there's reliable fiber uh, that can get back to a data center with, with backup that doesn't go down. You know, the, the WAPA um, internet providers, you know, we're, we're much more agile. Our networks are smaller than the big mobile network operators. And most of us, most of them built with off-grid anyway because um, their locations indicate that to get grid power there was too expensive in the first place. So although it's been expensive for the, for the, the WAPA guys to bulletproof their, their networks, a lot of them, and some of them even said to me, well, Paul, it makes no difference. I've never had grid power on any of my towers on the network. So it's been a lot easier for us to, to keep um, these networks up than the mobile network operators and the fiber operators up there. I, because I think it's a, it's a game of scale. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult to get your head around how big some of these major networks are. And, you know, the scarcity of, um, the equipment to fix it, let alone the cost. And of course, the rising cost. If anyone is looking at, buying an inverter for their home, you know, they've sort of 
50%, 60% more expensive than they were six months ago. Um, it's craziness out there. But, you know, that's where we are. Um, one of the things that I like the fact that you are touching on is uh, the difference between uh, the way that some of these networks have been built, right? Because if you think about uh, a network like tel like telecoms, um, you know, even on the fiber backhaul side, um, the whatever backup power that they had in place when that system was when that network was put in you know, was put in place as backup power. It wasn't put in place as, you know, power that's meant to sustain, you know, these networks, you know, for a sustained period of time. Um, but then when you talk about the members of your association, um, you're talking about, um, you know, some of, uh, some of the off-grid considerations sort of being built in, you know, sort of uh, by design. Uh, could you just talk to us a little yeah. bit, uh, you know, around that? Uh, I think you did talk. Uh, you did talk about you know what WAPA is at the beginning, but maybe you could go a little bit deeper into the types of uh, service providers that make up WAPA. Okay, yeah, um, you know these are guys who historically um, started uh, back back in the day when the medium of connectivity in South Africa was ADSL. Mm -hmm. And as we know, not all the telecom exchanges were ADSL enabled out of the bit. And we know that cellular networks in the beginning were non-existent in those areas. So there was a, a huge demand for connectivity to the internet in Zernet, where there was nothing else. There wasn't uh, telecom ADSL available. And the, the cellular signal was you know, non-existent or very bad. So this is where, you know, my wireless guy started off and delivering internet services um, to these areas that, that were starved. And then over the years, um, we progressed. And now we're offering uh, services that are not just brilliant, but are fully on par um, with uh, fiber, um, with you know, cellular services, but you know, not just having that one advantage that we built the redundancy in from the beginning. Um, you must understand that the mobile network operators buy licensed spectrum. Um, the last lot, as I said, MTN and Vodacom spent five billion rand each. And uh, my guys are. Uh, can't afford those sort of numbers. So 90% of them, they operate in unlicensed spectrum, um, which is obviously free to use. The difference is between unlicensed spectrum and the licensed spectrum the cellular operators use. Unlicensed is, is much, much lower power, um, which is why you know, it doesn't blast through walls and get directly to a handset or like on the mobile networks, it's very high power. And, you know, you put an LTE router on your table inside your house and it works because of that power. Um, my wireless providers, we have to put an external device on the, on the building because the signal is it, so much in and it's restricted by, um, the regulator. It, it, it passes. Up. But what this means, you know, power comes with a price. Mm -hmm. 
the more power, you know, the more power in radio terms you, you want to distribute, the more power and electricity it needs. So the, 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 to completely back up a cellular tower, mm, you know, is, is a fortune. And, you know, the amount of solar you would need and, you know, these panels, especially, you know, they, they get stolen is absolutely massive as opposed to my wireless guys that we have very small power requirements which makes it much easier to do so we we're currently and my members are offering um between them all and we virtually have a national footprint in in south africa with a small exclusion in the northern cape because that area is where the um, square kilometre array telescopes are and it's got a, a radio band there. But the rest of South Africa is pretty much covered and we can offer, you know, 20 meg, 100 meg um, services to the home or business wirelessly and more importantly, it reliably. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that is the, the most important thing now um, is the re the reliability of these connections? I mean, as we're speaking on this call at this moment in time, this Zoom call, this was set up not to coincide with load shedding. When you get a, a group of people around the country, because the nature of load shedding, it's different times in different places. It's virtually impossible to not get one person in that meeting, like. Block out because someone somewhere, and and that's become the issue. So from the the, the WAPA members, the ones who did have grid power have soon realised they've up their battery, they've back up their batteries, they've increased solar, but it wasn't that expensive to that Mount Everest that the the, the mobile networks are going to have to climb to do that. And you know, there's certainly availability issues of the equipment that it's required to do it. So that's been a very fascinating discussion that's we've, uh, that we've just been having, um, you know, with uh, Paul Coma. Um, and it's been, uh, I, I guess, illuminating, you know, to understand, um, you know, the different types of internet access uh, that are out there, you know, starting uh, the discussion uh, around mobile networks because, you know, that's how a lot of people in South Africa um, access the internet and then talking about fiber uh, after that because that does remain as probably uh, you know the cheapest form you know when you just look at the cost per gig and all of that uh, but now just looking at um, you know the wireless um, internet service providers that are making use of unlicensed spectrum and um, you know the lower cost to run those networks um, and also just availability in some of the more outlying parts of the country as well you know just as a way to try and solve uh, this huge communication issue which is likely to be with us uh, for the foreseeable future because load shedding is likely to be with us uh you know for the foreseeable future and you know big thank you to paul to making us understand you know just uh, the diff the impact of uh, load shedding on these different types of networks uh, because at the end of the day the broad discussion is around internet access in south africa and how all of that is being affected uh by uh, load shedding going forward it will be interesting to see how investments and investment 
decisions are made uh, because you've got different types of considerations. Um, you know, as a, as a telco, as a fiber network operator, as a, I think the word is uh, WISP, um, you know, a wireless internet service provider. Um, you know, how how is capital going to be allocated going forward? Obviously, energy is now, you know, a bigger thing. Are we going to be seeing more of a convergence? Because there's a lot of... Uh, um, there's a lot of coming together of different entities, consolidation in the sector. You know, could we be seeing more of these different types of players all coming together, you know, under under one roof or at least creating um, a network of some sort? We'll wait to see, but uh, as uh, these developments do continue, we're likely to get uh, Paul back in uh, to give us an understanding of uh, everything that will be happening over in uh, the landscape. Uh, as I said, we were talking to Paul Coma, who is um, an exco member over at the Wireless Access Providers Association um, of uh, South Africa. Paul, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Murio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.